to positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Damn America, the spooky ghost, 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 uh, socialist podcast for. Did you just call us gauche? Uh, yeah, the gauche podcast for unrefined. Uh, I don't know. Um, that's our new theme is that we are offensive to turn of the century aristocrats. Uh, Hot damn America, tacky yet unrefined. That's yeah. not a copywritten. <laughs> Turn a phrase that we can use. I just coined it right here, right now. Yeah, all right. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm Jake Flores. That's Anders Lee. Anders Lee here. Alex Patak is here. Hello. <laughs> um, wow, we have a great episode today. I am very excited that we were able to get the um, writers of this new film, Judas and the Black Messiah. You might see if you have HBO Max or HBO regular. I don't know how that works. Or um, if you're dating, because people people are dating, and they're right. getting the passwords, and they're not giving it back. That's right. Um, anyway. And they're doing posts about it. <laughs> it's out. You, can- you might have seen it. You might not have seen it. Uh, but if you haven't seen it, you should see it. Uh, it's a movie about Fred Hampton, the Black Panther, from the past who was killed by the FBI spoiler if you're uh, an idiot and you want to watch the movie without knowing that um, worth then, noting because I don't think people ever clear this up because you're just supposed to know but if you're like 14 years old Black Panther the superhero unrelated <laughs> is it I, do we know that well, for a fact I basically y- yeah I do. I, I know that for a fact. I don't think that Black <laughs> Panther, the superhero, is like a Maoist. He's actually <laughs> kind of the opposite. He's king. Have you seen the movie? He's both. I just need to talk to the children for a second. He's both a monarch and he's friends with the CIA. So he's kind of the farthest thing you could get. Well, I, this is a, an issue about me and my friend uh, Sid, who I did a, a live stream with recently. Um, we went to go see Black Panther, and we were both complaining after the movie that there's not really any uh, exploration of what kind of uh, political economy or what kind of system they have in um, what's the name of the place? I forget. Wakanda. 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 Yeah, they, they, they don't show. They have uh, like small scale mercantilism, but you can't tell if there's any like currency being exchanged or not. It's just like um, like a marketplace, right? But it, it could just be everything's free. Yeah, yeah. So a it, terrible. It could oversight. be communistic. It's a bad movie. It's about <laughs> things that are not good and smart, like this movie. Um, Marvel movies are very lame and idealistic, and uh, the subtext. It's about if you had a very hard cat suit, was my understanding. Yeah. And then you can, like, punch through walls, but you have claws. His power is that, he, yeah, he has, just has a, he's like, I took a Kevlar vest, but I made an entire suit out of it. And it's just well, really it's, tough. It's the uh, vibranium, though, right? That makes everything, that powers everything. That's the secret resource. That's the, uh, where they get their abilities, right? 
Right, and it makes you like a cat. Yeah. You take <laughs> I, naps, etc. You don't know that vibranium isn't real. You know what my favorite thing about cats is that you can hit them, and then they absorb the energy of when you hit them, and then they throw it back at you magically. With That's true. Local animal activists will deny it, but you don't have to listen to them. They have no power here. It, this is the kingdom of man. You think there are actually people who watch this movie expecting Black Panther or Marvel? Well, and we're disappointed. Maybe because uh, Ryan Coogler is involved in some capacity. Right. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he made Black Panther, right? And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we are not the three people to be really tackling this issue, but it, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, there is something to that, and I think there is something to that that is uh, examined in this movie, Judas and the Black Messiah, in regards to you know, black capitalism and uh socialism and specifically socialism without a qualifier at the beginning you know as fred hampton's uh kind of famous quote the movie opens on is that we're not going to fight capital white capitalism with black capitalism we're going to fight it with socialism um so i hope that people i, I you know w this is kind of a like a kind of naive idea i guess that people have about movies and art and stuff like that but i i do hope that people who do go into this movie expecting Black Panther will come out understanding capitalism, you know? <laughs> it yeah. could happen. I don't... I'm incredibly cynical about people, really, these days, so I don't think it'll happen. I right. honestly predict that the dumbest people you know will watch this and they'll go, wow, what a great movie about some guy named Fred Hampton. Um, I hope he becomes a powerful businessman someday or some shit, you know? <laughs> like, people will probably misunderstand the movie to insane degrees and make it about black capitalism or something like that. But um, Yeah, it's definitely, right. it's. I mean, it's a disservice to go into it with thinking, comparing Fred Hampton to the Black Panther because just apples to apples, he's he's far weaker he has far less powers. Um, <laughs> True. If you were to leave wishing that he, I mean, if he were the Black Panther, he would have gotten out of many of these scenarios. Yeah. Snickety snick, no problem. And that's one of the tragedies of man, I think, that, that, that you're not, that you're not so a Katsuit King. That actually kind of, so I actually, I liked the movie Black Panther, right? but uh, you're bringing up a point here because um, I, you know, because of the ambiguity there with the sort of economic system, in Wakanda, I was like, well, they could be, you know, a socialist worker state or something. But if They're they not, were... They'll go on? Uh, well, I guess this was kind of the theme of the movie, right? Is that they didn't give vibranium or their weaponry to the actual Black Panthers in the U.S. Yeah. So, in the universe <laughs> of the movie... point in the movie, yeah. Right. Yeah, okay, that actually is bad. Now that I think about it. <laughs> this came out years ago. God damn it. Um, this, is, this is the one thing I wanted to say about Juice the Black Messiah. We didn't get into the interview. It's a more casual question. And I wanted to get, get your feedback on it. Um, if you are listening and you don't know the story of Fred Hampton, I, I'm sorry to bear the news that he, he, he dies at the end. He does not make it. <laughs> he does not. He's not around. You can't, like, see him now or whatever. But uh, the scene, the pivotal scene at the end of the movie where the thing that everybody knows who knows the story is he is poisoned by his close confidant, played by Lakeith Stanfield, and uh, uh, that betrays him up to the cops who come and shoot him. Uh, and the scene where Lakeith Stanfield brings Daniel Kaluuya the, uh, the poison, 
he is weeping openly at a party and everyone is just kind of ignoring him <laughs> or just acting like it's not weird. Um, and so I guess I have my question is like, would you take a drink from a man who was openly weeping <laughs> for you? It's <laughs> the most suspicious thing. Yeah. Because uh, I know it's acting, but he's like, hey, Fred. So maybe. I'll miss you, man. <laughs> maybe he didn't actually drug him, and the emotion in his tears was just so powerful that that's what knocked. Fred out. Well, I think he yeah. drugged him because he said he drugged him after the fact. There's that too, but yeah, maybe the yeah. I, I believe in the power of tears. Actually, maybe didn't uh, he? Maybe he denied that. I can't remember. I've, they, just, I've been at a few parties where I've been like fucked up enough where like <laughs> other people's emotions do not factor into me getting drinks anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what if you went What's into it? a bar and there's a guy like washing glasses, but he's got his back to you, you know, and then he turns around. And he's like, hello, welcome to the crying bar. <laughs> he's just openly weeping while like shaking a martini or whatever. <laughs> We're sad to see you go. Yeah. You know what's interesting though is I found this out recently. The, the Black Panthers actually did not cry because they were so like intensely trained and militant that they just didn't let the shit get to them. They just compartmentalize shit. What? Where did you uh, read this? What? You can't just make what up. What is this for? No, that's true. It was in. I I heard it. I just heard it from an interview last night uh, with uh, with our guests today. They, according to them, that's what uh, Fred Hampton's widow said. Um, that Black Panthers don't cry? Yeah, and that's the reason when he dies, the actress who plays her does, does not cry. Right. Uh, Whoa. Um, it just so seems in that like moment, a tough they, rule to have on the books. I mean, I don't know if it was that orthodox or if it was just like uh, extremely uncommon for them to cry. I think that may be more the case. But we do know that in that situation specifically, no one cried. Uh, Maybe they're like me in that they only cry when they watch movies because they're very emotionally healthy and not when sad things happen in real life. That's a, yes, that's a, uh, maybe, I guess an Irish thing too. That's a very Norwegian thing. My dad cries in movies all the time and gets extremely emotional. He and I both when we're watching sports, but then are just like constantly uh, holding in. I was thinking about this last night. He's doing a a tribute. To being Irish, I would never have guessed. <laughs> What's that? On this show, you've said Irish people uh, bust fast. Um, <laughs> I think like are proclo- like naturally uh, driven to steal. Like you said, <laughs> I'm, I am half Irish, so I'm allowed to say this stuff. Well, no, I, I you're not a, it. allowed. No, you're using <laughs> tricks. You can't just attribute. Yeah, what, what, why? Because I'm Irish? What am I a little leprechaun? Enough of your Irish tricks. <laughs> you can't just attribute everything you want to being Irish because you are half Irish. That's you can't not, do a jig with the truth. That's that's not the rules of being Irish. Okay. That's not the rules of All being I'm anything. All I'm saying is that it's not a coincidence, right, that uh, there's a lot of stereotypes, right, that were given to Irish people that are that are bullshit. Um, but one of them that they were portrayed, we were portrayed as very monkey like, uh, which is what horrible and racist and everything. But it's true. The English, they think we're apes. Irish people, Ben Bradley, everybody look up Ben Bradley. Bradley looks like an orangutan. 
We have monkey-like features. Oh, the Irish. You said that. I mean, that's not doing any. That just it just sounds bad. I I think it just sounds bad. All right. You what? What are you? One of these Irish people who? You're Irish, right, Alex? I I am also half Irish. Okay. Yeah. Are you one of these people who on St. Patrick's Day is like, you know what? I'm not going to wear green. I'm not going to celebrate this at all. It's a, it's a degradation of the culture. It's like, no, that that's, that's the dream. That's the American dream is you can get to a point where things are okay enough for your heritage, where you can just laugh about it and make fun of it and caricature it, right? But for a, a lot of people, it's still sensitive because things still are shitty and racist, but people aren't racist towards Irish anymore, so we can have fun with it. I'm trying to bring the community up for the city of Boston, which makes me more Irish than by blood. I'm, I'm like 150% Irish. It's just like every March you see one of these articles from Maliki O'Connor or something. I did not mean like, to set you off on this tangent. Were we going to talk about Chicago or something? You guys should right. start a militant group of Irish guys called the Irish Panthers or the Green Panthers. <laughs> The Irish Panthers seems like a first draft name. You're oh, like, there was. Okay. I feel like we should have another pass. <laughs> you should, there we, was. We have a breakfast a... program for children. It's all Guinness. It's for your kids to drink. <laughs> <laughs> you guys get a good There's hearty. nutrients in the Guinness. It's a low ABV. It's a low ABV. It's hearty. <laughs> There's a full loaf in there. Get that down. Yeah. Get that down. That's going to help you steal later. <laughs> Which is a thing we do. <laughs> we can't help it. There was actually a group called the White Panthers, uh, the White Panther Party, who I'm, tr- I'm not sure if they were, because I watched this other movie. Have you guys seen Panther from the 90s? No. Uh, I, wa- I watched that recently. It's all it's all on YouTube. You can watch it for free. Uh, it's about Huey P. Newton. It's kind of like the Oakland um, story, because there's so much here. You can't make one movie about all the Black Panthers and get that. Maybe you could do... A miniseries. I mean, there are documentaries that that come, you know, pretty close to surmising things. But uh, the White Panthers were a group in in the country, right? Because they 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 did the Black Panthers were interesting in that, like, yes, they were exclusive to black people, but they were not like, you know, Malcolm X and other people at the time were saying, you know, and he changed throughout his his life, but. Um, when white people would ask, like, oh, what can we do? Uh, a lot of people, nationalists would say, nothing. We, we, you're the enemy. But the Black Panthers, while they were a black organization, would say, like, let's work in solidarity. You form a group. Let's get together. Let's do stuff. Uh, and that's what happened with with the Young Patriots, right? Which because is something that gets... communists. Right, exactly. Nationalists. Yeah, and that's one of the frustrating... And this is something we didn't get to in the interview, but... Uh, Briefly, like that's so now there's this article going around that's like, oh, uh, Fred Hampton, the Black Panthers, they made friends with uh, racists, right? They've made friends with these guys who had Confederate flags. And it's like, that's not the whole story, right? If you actually checking the Young Patriots uh, Twitter likes and it is not a good look, my dude. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? We didn't get to that in the interview, but it's a really relevant thing to like what's happening in the stupid discourse and disinformation about the left right now with, you know, Oh, these people are going like when Bernie goes on like Fox News or something like that. It's like, uh, yeah, he's going on there to try to make them better. Like it's not right. to subscribe to their racist ideas. It's to alleviate the cause of the thing that's 
causing them to be racist to begin with and like form solidarity and isn't that the whole fucking point isn't everyone right. trying to win over those people's votes all the time anyway yeah and, and eventually they were able to from what i have heard get them to stop using the confederate flags because they just didn't understand that was like why that was as an offensive as a symbol as it was because you know if you're from <laughs> the south it's like oh it's a state's rights thing you know, it's, uh, you know. uh, so they were able to actually they weren't like hey you're in the kkk we have the same interests let's let's join up like no it wasn't like that you know what uh, would have so been really that? funny in this movie is if there was like a long scene of fred hampton very patiently explaining to one of the young patriots like <laughs> that he can't use that word you know but very patiently there's <laughs> like 30 minutes there's no fat to cut we had to leave it in yeah but what about Mark Twain? All yeah. right. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. You mentioned not use and all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. But what if it's in a song? <laughs> I should be able to say it in a song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's very patient, you know, because he was. Like, he fucking formed all those bridges and stuff with people. Right. Uh, <coughs> yeah. And that's, see, that's one caricature right and then the other caricature which is the one that white people learn in america and more than just white people that you know american kids learn and keep in mind in this scene the young patriot is like radical he's like becoming radicalized exactly yeah that's yeah so so mao said all right so chairman (laughs) mao you know just so i'm getting this right okay sorry i'm I'm almost (laughs) done with this no it's well well, it, on the other hand, you have this caricature that they are black nationalists, right? It's just like the black power movement, the civil rights movement is just one big glob that all believed in black nationalism. And that that's not the case either, right? They were uh, about forming coalitions. And what frustrates me is when people say like, oh, you want to highlight that because you're white and you want to feel better about yourself and center white people. Uh, when really it's like, if this was another country... Uh, you wouldn't need to do that, right? In other countries, you don't need to necessarily make cross-racial coalitions because it's more uh, class and, you know, the divide is, like, more clearly along racial lines economically. But here, it's... But we just... This is America. Like, unfortunately, or or fortunately, uh, you have to make a multiracial movement. That Like, that's the... It's not because... It's not about people's feelings. It's because that's the only way to establish socialism in this country is an interracial coalition of working class people. I have an addition for Jake's uh, <laughs> redneck Maoist character. Yeah. <laughs> As Comrade Mao once said, the countryside is the can and the people are the beer. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's like a can of Schlitz. <laughs> Slug it, Comrade. Okay. <laughs> We probably don't have enough time, but did we want to cover any of that other stuff, or what, what are we doing? Well, Chicago, which is where Fred Hansen lived, and where there's a large Irish-American population as well, uh, has been in the news. I don't know if you heard about this. Uh, the mayor there, <laughs> Lori Lightfoot, uh, is having some tension with the aldermanic body. They, don't, they call themselves alder people. Which is interesting. In most places, it's council people. Do you remember that movie, Head of State, with Chris Rock? <laughs> oh, he, where Chris Rock becomes a president? Yeah, it predates. I actually watched that movie back to back with Barry, the movie about young Obama. Uh, but anyway, uh, in that movie, he's an alderman, and I remember watching it, being like, "What the fuck is is an alder? Is that like a church thing or whatever?" But that's what uh, Chicago's 
city council is called, and they're also nonpartisan. So when people say like, "Oh, Democratic line taints you" or whatever, like they don't have party lines in technically in Chicago, but there are of course informal structures. And uh, Lori Lightfoot is uh, at the head of one, not the foot. And uh, there's tension, of course, with the Socialist Caucus. Um, I think there's like six or something socialist members. One was booted recently from the DSA for uh, voting for the austerity budget, which is pretty cool that we're able to do that. I mean, it sucks that he voted for him, but, you know, shows a good uh, standing on, on principle. Um, but this week, there's been a couple of funny incidents. Uh, they, they're, they have to convene all their meetings via Zoom, right? And so uh, uh, one of the council people who was elected in, was it 2019, Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez. Uh, she was giving like a, a speech. I just saw the end of it. And um, as she's like finishing up and Lightfoot is supposed to um, go to somebody else, you can overhear Lori Lightfoot saying, you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> and again, I, feel, I feel very split about this story because I've not, I'm not on her side, but I will always defend the ability to mutter shit beneath your breath. It's very funny when politicians do it. Yeah, well, her defense, her defense is that, like, oh, I was actually saying that about something else. I stubbed my toe. Yeah. My cat was in the room. And I, I, but if you look at the... I just saw the wait for one of our iconic deep dish pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> but if you look at the um, actual context, I don't really buy it, Mayor Lori, I'm sorry, because apparently she had a meeting with uh, older woman Sanchez recently, and she said that uh, Lori Lightfoot sat down with her uh, and they'd never talked before and said, like, let me give you some feedback, uh, that there's a perception that you do whatever Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa tells you to do. In case you don't know, that's another uh, DSA uh, backed older person. Uh, and, and she says, as a woman of color, you should develop your own voice in politics. You should have your own voice. And so she didn't know what to say. She was just like, thank you for your feedback, sarcastically. Um, but that's a very telling thing that I think ties into the stuff, which is that, like, uh, you know, your own voice. Obviously, she wants her to to side with the mayoral, mayoral administration. But the, this idea that, that, that like, unions and, and the left, these concepts are, like, foreign to a lot of the ruling class uh, political <coughs> figures, especially in cities like Chicago, right? She just doesn't have a concept that it's not that she's doing whatever Rosa tells her to do, Ramirez Rosa tells her to do. It's like they're part of a block, right? They're not just individual, you know, uh, representatives voting on things in isolation. They're part of a movement that has elected them to do specific things that they have to follow through on or like happened to the other guy, they'll get booted by that movement. Um, so it's just very telling about the sort of like liberal mentality about this stuff that it, it and, you know, and it's, of course, it's a very petty, like sort of, um, excuse to try and, you know, drive a wedge. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was sort of relevant to this and like the idea, I mean, we've gotten so far away where, from where we were in the sixties during Fred Hampton's time that even an elected official, uh, 
voting a certain way and acting on behalf of a broader movement is just a totally foreign concept to um, elected officials and other elected officials in a place like Chicago. Now, you're telling me. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> speaking of mayors, uh, I just we'll have to do an episode on this at some point. I will not be able to cover everything that's going on here in this little snippet I'm about to say, but I just wanted to fill in our listeners on something very cool that I found, which is that there are like 22 or 25 or 30 fucking people running for mayor in New York currently. We're in that part of the race where there's a million people. And uh, I went through them recently and I found one very awesome human named Will Bill Pepitone, William Pepitone. <laughs> He's uh, related to like a, a former New York Yankee. And, Is he uh, related to Eddie? He's not related to Eddie. I showed him to My Eddie Pepitone. My first thought was Eddie Pepitone character, Bill Pepitone. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, ta- I tagged him on a, in a thing, and uh, Eddie Pepitone basically as much as told this guy to fuck off, which is very cool. Uh, his, this is his platform. He's a former New York City police officer. He wants to combat anarchy in the city by returning to broken windows police strategy that was wow. first widely used in the 1990s, yada, yada, yada. Um, so there's an insane person running for mayor. Uh, who I guess I'm trying to make this relevant to the movie. He's one of the, he's like the cops in the movie. He's racist. Yeah, he's like one of the bad guys. <laughs> I mean, he's just openly stating that. Um, yeah, we're gonna return to well, windows. Which- actually, you know what? It is kind of relevant to the point of view of the police in the movies because, like the right. the the fucking feds in the movie, I it's kind of you kind of sh- well, I mean. I don't know why I'm talking about the movie. In reality, also, like this, um, their conception of the Black Panthers was that they were, like, terrorists. And uh, it's, you know, and I think for a lot of white people, it's confusing because it's, like, a bunch of black people holding assault rifles and shit like that. Um, You can conceive of that as, like, well, that must be, like, a terrorist organization, but it was, uh, you know, for protection because they were trying to uh, feed children and stuff like that. So the, the... the naive, like the stupid, dumb, fat head guy use of the word anarchy in that guy's bio is very like telling, actually. Like misunderstanding uh, redistribution of wealth as like I'm gonna kill Batman or whatever is uh, something that's like really common. I think actually, right, and and it's just still you know the the mentality of I think most police departments and officers in the country and probably the world is that like poor communities, black communities, black poor communities have uh, the problem is pathology, right? So unless they're whipped into shape with a constant police presence, they're just going to run rampant and do crimes, right? And we know that that, you know, just throwing more cops at this shit is not going to actually, I mean, it does, you know, sometimes uh, lead to a reduction here and there, but like uh, the police presence is not the problem, right? It's not a pathology; it's just poverty, uh, right? And that's what the, they're. That's what people like the Black Panthers are trying to alleviate, but it's with you know something that is uh, the enemy of J. Edgar Hoover, you know, right? And that yeah, and they were able to like. Um, do such an effective job that eventually the government, I think it was the Nixon administration, realized like, oh shit, uh, these uh, nutrition programs are actually working. Um, 
So this is something the state needs to start doing or they're going to do it and they're going to keep radicalizing young people, especially. And we can't have that. So that that's basically where school lunches came from. You like, know, it's yeah, like a, it's really interesting, though. I mean, the real story here is, you know, J. Edgar Hoover and his crazy red raid, like red scare thing uh, versus anti-capitalists. But like the the foot soldier, like cops and stuff like that that are just sort of um you know pawns or grunts in on that side of the war do, they don't really i don't think they would think about it that way i think that they conceive of what they're fighting as like you know i, I guess i'm kind of fascinated by how that like the story gets kind of molded in in people's heads who are not extremely ideological because it happens on both sides like people on right. on on the bottom side of things often don't really conceive of things extremely ideologically and then they just become capitalists like Bill O'Neill and then there's people like in the feds that are just like I'm fighting the foot soldiers from the Ninja Turtles anyone that is resistant to the police and that it is you know not uh, part of the the white suburban fucking core structure of society is inherently Old, they must be motivated by evil or something like that. It's really fucking weird. Well, a lot of that's the Cold War juice, right? Which is why you can't talk to people in their 50s and 60s now because they drank it and you didn't, which is how you can have these opinions. But moms in 1970, you know, had thoughts about anarchists and had thoughts about communists. Yeah. Like the cops back then might have actually thought they were part of something like that. Whereas right, now I mean, it's all about like getting respect for the badge and a team to bowl with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, the whole modern police apparatus was developed uh, sort of uh, with the, the Cold War mentality to stop the spread of communism. And that's, you know, what J. Edgar Hoover declared uh, Black Panthers as the number one threat to national security because they were talking about overthrowing the system. You know, that's. Um, it's a terrifying thing, and that you know, uh, that explains it, right? Uh, now there are different rationalizations, um, but they're they're still somewhat the same, right? You know, you look at Jeff Sessions saying the problem is black identity extremists. He doesn't say communists anymore, but it's still like uh, we're going to live in a society in ten years unless these people are stopped, where uh, you have you can only watch Martin. Uh, you know, Seinfeld is banned uh, and stuff like that. You know, that's you know the what? new. That's I'm the new actually worried about is Irish identity extremists. I think that they're <laughs> the real threat to the soul of America. They're heroes. Yeah. They're, oh, they're just trying to 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 make a future that you can live in. <laughs> We're gonna only be allowed to watch. Cheers? What's an Irish show? <laughs> you can only no, we'll have to watch Cheers. boring Irish movies that don't <laughs> have any alcoholic people. We can only watch the Irish movie? he moves to Seattle. <laughs> we can't watch the Irish... No, we can't watch the Irishman because that's too stereotypical or whatever. Like, they're, they're, the war on Christmas is a joke. The war on St. Patrick's Day is a real thing. There are, <laughs> there are enemies forces. of fun and joy... And everything that Ireland is supposed to be about, who are trying to snuss out our ability to celebrate our heritage by being drunk idiots. And this is another thing, too. Leprechauns are real. And they're not <laughs> something to laugh about. And they're not something to put on your cereal box. They'll trick you. 
And they might eat your bones because they don't abide by the laws of man the way you and I might. So are they good or bad? They're bad. Oh. They're very bad. Okay. They're bad. Have you ever seen the film, uh, what was it, Leprechaun in... In the hood, yeah, of course, of course, I've seen that movie. What do you? How, how dare you, Anders? <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> okay, oh, uh, we should do a screening of that. We should totally do that. Um, okay, uh, good point. We should though. We should get to our interview. <laughs> this is this has gone off Wait, the rails a number. Very of Very brief anecdote okay. that you can find out if you watch our streaming with uh, Riley and, and Milo is we're talking about broken windows. Apparently, in the UK which also has oppressed the Irish historically. It's even worse. They have these ordinances where you can just be standing there and it, what is it, like a antisocial behavior ordinance. It has some... Asbos. Asbos. You can just arrest somebody for standing on a street corner and being black. Like, that's literally the law. Yeah, it's... it's short uh, for as-being. It's pretty fucked up. Um... All right. Well, <laughs> I'm very excited about our interview today. Yes. Uh, as stated at the top of the episode, we have uh, the writers of the new film Judas and the Black Messiah, which is a, a biopic of sorts about Fred Hampton, the Black Panther, uh, who was killed by the FBI in the 60s. Uh, um, I think that about does it. We should also do an episode just about all of this at one point with the theory and stuff, because that is something that gets lost in the, the background of telling a story here, which we'll talk about. But um, but yeah, for anyone entirely unfamiliar, definitely watch the movie and uh, enjoy the interview. And check out uh, The Murder of Fred Hampton, also another good movie if you want to find out more. Cool. All, all right. right. Here we go. Okay, we are joined now by Lucas Bros. Welcome to the show, the Lucas Bros. Thanks for having What's us, man. up, man? Thanks for Thanks having me. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for coming to do the show. So, um, yeah, I was kind of pleasantly surprised, I guess. Maybe that's not the way to put it. Uh, but I, mean, I was <laughs> surprised for a minute when this movie came yeah. out and it was written by comedians you know, um, which I guess to me, that was a little, it threw me off for a second. Cause usually artists don't really have the, like the, like the political, uh, imagination that I would like them to, you know, but, um, yeah. but then I, you know, sort of thought a little bit about who you guys are and I went, Oh, okay. That makes a little bit more sense. Um, and the third thing that happened is I was like, holy shit, I bet I can get them to come on the show. So thank you for joining <laughs> us. <laughs> I don't know if we particularly cross paths that much, but I do remember seeing you guys like at Cabin and stuff like that back in the fucking oh, yeah, yeah, days. Yeah, we, we, yeah, the Cabin days. Rest in peace. Yeah, and I always thought you guys were really funny. So, um, yeah, on top of it being comedians that wrote this movie about Fred Hampton, funny comedians. Another thing I often can't believe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so it's really cool. Um that this all happened. And I guess I just wanted to ask you guys a few questions about the film because, um, there's a, just a lot of questions hanging in the air when a good political movie comes out. Um, right. so I guess, first of all, we should talk about this thing. We were just talking about off mic a little bit. It's kind of funny. 
I, everyone in like leftist political circles who talks about this movie feels the need to add this huge caveat of like, it was actually good. Like, I can't believe they actually, you know, didn't, you know, Disney fi Fred Hampton or something and like water down the politics and all this stuff, which is, um, rude, I think, <laughs> first of all. <laughs> but second of all, I, I think it, it kind of shows something which is that a lot of people that like we interact with on our show, this is like a kind of cross comedy socialist activist show we do here. Uh, but a lot of the people right. on the political end on the organizing end are not creatives like us. And so their relationship with art is often that they don't want it to be art as much as they want it to be propaganda. Right. And when you make propaganda, which is fine, which is cool. That's, what we're making here basically um but when you make propaganda there's a threshold i think you cross where like you lose the magic of creative storytelling at a point where you start sacrificing that for turning something into like a textbook or something and yeah. i thought what was so great about this film is that uh it really the 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 part if i was writing an english paper about this movie i'd go the sum the movie is greater than the sum of its parts. It has like invisible thematic stuff that yeah. tells a story that is compelling, that makes you want to go and learn more about the black Panthers and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's not so much a question, but you know, congratulations on writing a fucking <laughs> film. What, uh, how'd this start? Why'd you guys decide to write a, a movie about Fred Hampton? I mean, it, it really, um, thank you for the, the kind words. And I, I mean, the thing about art, man, is like, it's always sort of like a thing where it's left to interpretation. And, and I, I sort of welcome some criticisms from a certain pockets of the, the, you know, the leftist sort of circles. I, I respect, I respect it obviously. And I, I think it keeps the art honest, but I think there is, you make a fair point. Like this is a propaganda versus art sort of question. And like, which, where do you want to fall on the scale? Um, it's a, it's a question that we have to ha ask ourselves honestly. But uh, it started in college. It, it started in 2004. We came across Fred Hampton's story. Uh, we were taking an African-American studies course. And, you know, we pretty much covered from uh, post-Reconstruction up until uh, the late 70s period. And there was a section on the Black Panthers. And then there was a sort of a blurb on Fred Hampton. And the story just sort of blew my mind. I was just, like, overwhelmed by it. It just it never really like made sense to me that the state would kill a 21 year old for pretty much, you know, exercising his constitutional uh, rights. It just it just never made much sense to me, especially late 60s, early 70s. Like it just it, it just never set very well with me. So when I got into entertainment, uh, one of my primary goals was to get a movie made about Fred Hampton by any means necessary. By any means necessary. I like that. That's <laughs> the same reason Malcolm X got in entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it seems that like one of the criticism, and this is something that's like kind of frustrating me, and this is going to sound like I'm trying to blow smoke in your private areas, but I genuinely am annoyed by this, where people are like, it should have included X, Y, and Z, right? Yeah. And, you know, you have a finite amount of pages, minutes to tell a story, uh, you did not include every dump Fred Hampton ever took. There's plenty of things that just are impossible to put in uh, a finite 
work. Uh, but what was what, that must have been a difficult process, though, right? Deciding what to include yeah. and what not to. How did you go about that? I mean, you know, we were fortunate uh, to work with two other writers on this. Uh, Shaka King, who was also the director, and Will Burson. And, you know, it, it was a lot of research that, that we all had to do in order to mm-hmm. really, really fully, fully comprehend that, that time period. And um, I think the hardest thing is, like, trying to figure out a way to condense the story because it's so epic in scope, right? I mean, we're talking about the FBI, the, you know, the, the Chicago uh, uh, government, the apparatus there, the local Chicago police department. Like, there are a lot of institutions involved in this one story. So, you know, that's just a wide scope. I mean, I feel like based on all the research that we all did, like we could have easily turned this into a mini series or, or something even more epic in scope. So, I mean, there was a lot of things we had to kind of like, we couldn't, we couldn't talk about Hammerhand, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Hammerhand played an integral role in, in, in uh, executing the uh, assassination. We didn't, we, we didn't talk about Daily as much. Yeah, Daily we got also... to, yeah. And for those who don't know, uh, Hammerhand was the state prosecutor, right? And Daly was the mayor of Chicago at the yeah, time. Right, 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 right. So we couldn't really get into like the local city politics. We had to keep it, you know, grand. So you know, you're dealing with the FBI and, and Hoover, but you couldn't even deal with deal too much with the intricacies of the FBI at the time. So there was a lot, and especially like when, with Fred Hampton's story, like starting from when he was a kid and he was in the NAACP, and he was he was already like a full a fully a fully realized civil rights leader, essentially, and he, he he got radicalized. And I would love to see that story too that we couldn't really get into. So like there was a lot of a lot of things that we had to to, to leave off uh, leave off the table. But I mean, I feel like based on what we did present, like, we were able to get a lot in mm-hmm. in two hours. So I, I I I want people to focus on what we did get in, and also yeah. like using the film as a springboard to you know, learning more about Hampton and learning more about uh, his politics and his philosophy. Yeah, no, I know. I love, you, go ahead. I love the efficiency for the Hoover stuff and the forces of evil in the movie because he's only on the screen for what, like four minutes or something the entire oh, time. Yeah, but yeah. every minute he's there, he's like, <laughs> he's, he's dressed like an orc. Like, you know, who's behind <laughs> all this shit the whole time. Yeah, right, right. Like if you were right. unaware, it's very clear watching him. Just like, would you, would you let your daughter come home with a black man? Like, ah, he's a bad right. one. <laughs> right. I fucking right. know he's the bad one. Right. Yeah. You're yeah. Right. I mean, like, look, look too much Hoover can, I think it can render your movie just, more of a character i mean i don't know it just it just right. ruins the story he's just not a compelling villain he's just necessarily evil and cruel but i feel like snippets of hoover can go a long way you know he's what a I strong mean? spice like, yeah right yeah right, exactly right. exactly yeah i so i the the thing that you chose to do with this movie because it's like there is a very deliberate choice it seems that was made of uh what to focus on in terms of telling the greater story here, I thought was really interesting. A lot of people on our stupid Twitter feed have, you know, kind of been like, why would they focus on Bill O'Neill? But the, 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 when, as soon as you realize it's written by the damn Lucas brothers, you're like, oh, they're twins. <laughs> like, there's a duality going on here. This is a story about right. there being two wolves inside of you, you know, and right. which one do you feed? Right. Um, <laughs> I, I thought it was great because the, dilemma that persists in all of our fucking lives and in society and especially with us as like 
artists, you know, as creative types, is this uh, this thing where you go, you know, do you take the Bill O'Neill path and or do you take the Fred Hampton path? And also, right. the Bill O'Neill path is very like humanized in this movie. It isn't just like look at this rat, look at this fucking you know guy who made the wrong choice. He's a victim of mm-hmm. circumstance like everyone else. And I thought it really painted a, a, like a really accurate picture of how all of us are on some level and even the fucking FBI guy at some point is a victim of circumstance and not knowing, you know, like until he's in way over his head more Bill yeah. male than the FBI guy, but, but everyone like, it's like Shakespearean or something like everyone yeah. is sort of, you know, caught in the whims and, and actions of everything around them or whatever. Um, I guess, can you tell me a little bit about why you focused on Bill O'Neill? I mean, I think you, I think you sort of kind of hinted at it. I mean, this is a story about dualities. This is a story about contradiction. This is a story about capitalism and socialism. You know, you want to see both sides of the coin. You know what I mean? Like, I think, uh, look, Fred had no idea who Bill O'Neill was when they were alive until Bill O'Neill introduced himself to Fred and changed their lives for the worse, I would say. So I feel like I feel like they were both victims of circumstance, obviously Fred more so than Bill, but I feel like if you want to really have a full picture of COINTELPRO and the systemic forces that sort of led to their outcomes, you have to see both sides, and that's sort of my logic behind it. Also, it's like, you know, I just think you tell a more powerful story with the juxtaposition, you know what I mean? Like, you, 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 you better understand Fred by look by by looking at a coward like Bill O'Neill, you know what I mean. You better understand Fred's decision making, how how powerful it was for him to to be willing to sacrifice himself for the people, and turn down money and turn down you know uh, you know uh, the goods that 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 Bill O'Neill sort of kind of revolved his life around. I mean, Bill was a committed capitalist. And I think in order, again, to understand Fred's commitment to socialism, it, it helps to see a person who's not committed to the same principle. Uh, that's why I think the final two frames of the film are two of the final frames in the film. You see Fred's presented with a wad of cash and then Bill Nils presented with a wad of cash. Fred, to his detriment, didn't take that wad of cash and it ultimately led to his death. And Bill takes that wad of cash. And I think that that's sort of the 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 crux of the story that we're trying to tell right i I mean the theme i was really left with uh i don't even know if this phrase was in the movie but i remember thinking afterwards like which side are you on like that old Mm -hmm. old question uh especially in the civil rights movement and i think someone in the movie towards the end said you can either be a a cop or you can be a revolutionary and that kind of comes back to right right um i was that comes back to uh, uh an interview i was listening to with shaka king who was saying that one of the sort of themes of the movie was a, a warning about the dangers of being apolitical right. uh, as well as the dangers of being uh, a white moderate, which was uh, right. Jesse Plemons' character. You know, he was equating the Ku Klux Klan and the Black Panthers as a way of rationalizing his position. Um, but with those two things, uh, how do you feel, you know, what? why did this movie feel relevant today? Like, what do you think that the like, current manifestations of uh, apoliticalism and um, white moderation are? That's a good question. I mean, I feel like there is a, a stench of nihilism on either side of the political realm, even with the left, with the right, even with the middle. There's, there's a nihilism that has creeped in that 
as I mean, maybe it's because of the internet, but it's like almost a lack of humanity now. Um, and I think that that might just be the case for any ideology, if it's white centrism or if, if you're a committed capitalist or, or whatnot, just a commitment to a ideology at the expense of just like seeing humans as humans, I think sort of strips away uh, the humanity of like political fighting. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, there are dangers in, in, in each ide- each ideology, but I, I wonder, does that apply to all ideologies if you're mm-hmm. committed to a particular belief system, uh, which eventually leads other people to become, uh, I don't want to say inhuman, but almost like you don't even see your opposition as people. You know, you're so committed to your principles that people don't even become uh, human. So I don't know. I, I, that's, a, that's a tough question. I don't know what you think uh yeah i mean i i hate to say that uh you know that there are dangers to one side and 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 those same dangers don't apply to our side because if you look at the film i mean fred does end up being killed he's martyred i mean his his belief system led to an outcome that wasn't really beneficial to his particular movement Hmm. obviously you have to take into consideration that there were forces acting to make sure that he died but Uh, the rhetoric does contribute to his death. You can't ignore that, right? So it's like, I don't know. I, I think uh, it depends on what you decide is winning and losing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, at the end of the day, the, the capitalist and uh, white supremacy wins in the end. So I, for Hoover, it would, it would be deemed a pragmatic victory, I think. Um, but I don't know. I, don't, I, I have a hard time just, like, coming down on one side. One thing Pardon that what? go ahead. Sorry, you go, Jake. Uh, I was gonna say one thing that I I really enjoyed about the f- uh, film. Sorry, we keep stepping on each other. Uh, is um, was the just minute, just barely kind of whisper at the humanity of Jesse Plummett's character. Uh, we talked about how the J. Edgar Hoover character is basically evil incarnate, and I think that's as it should be when you're talking about a human being you know, at that level of power in society and doing something that evil. But, um, there's this thing that's kind of bothered me with like prestige TV in the last few years where the, everyone's writing stories about like the 1950s and like the, you know, mid 20th century and stuff. And like, there's always like these kind of evil white Klansman characters in them, (laughs) which are fine. Like, it's funny to make a caricature of old timey white racist. Right. But I think that actually, you're doing a bit of a disservice when you write a character like that because what you should be doing is sure. making a relatable racist because that's supposed to challenge the white person in the audience to go, oh my God, like this is a problem right, right, right. that's within my life, you know? And it, liberals kind of have a tendency to, to other that and go, no, I'm the good type of white person, yada, yada, yada. And I thought right. with Jesse Plemons' character, when he realizes that one of his – the like his operation is lying about one of the moles and uh, manipulating the Black Panthers, and he loses his justification for the entire mission, which is that he thinks one of them like tortured and killed somebody, but it was actually his own guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get like something more three dimensional that portrays this as a system that is you know, we are all victims of, which is what fucking Fred Hampton was talking about when he went around and right. you know, he got the redneck right. revolt guys or whatever to come join him and right. stuff. Um, yeah, it was really cool. Um, um, yeah, I mean, it's like when you if you vilify evil and, and make make it too cartoonish, 
I think it's strip, it does it does strip away the, the 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 realism of it all. I mean, I think I don't think evil looks like evil doesn't always look like Hoover. You know, evil does look like the Plemons character. It does look like uh, uh, Roy Mitchell. You know, someone who's object seemingly a decent human being, but is committed to white supremacy and is committed to protecting state power. But you know. I think you're more likely to see that kind of evil than to see some cartoon villain. And uh, I don't know, I just think it's important to, to show a more truthful side of what evil looks like in America. Uh, because there is a banality of evil. There is just like a, a you just, it's like evil by the day. It's not, it's not, it doesn't have to be this grandiose version of it. It's just like, a, it's like, a, it's just like a dude doing his job. I mean, that's, that's how simple it is at times. And I think, I think, I think that gets lost on people. In, uh, in regards to nihilism and the, you know, inhumanness, Ken, uh, Keith was saying, uh, that, that we're facing now, I think the Fred right. Hampton story is kind of the, the perfect one to tell because, uh, the, the world we live in now, like we're doing the white moderate presidency right now. Like we've mm-hmm. officially, like we got together as a powwow as a country mm-hmm. and then like pick these things, you know, right, if they're right. not unpopular decisions. Um, but I was so moved watching this. I think in contrast with that, because you see Fred Hampton, who is a baby when he's killed, like he's mm-hmm. 21. He's already done more activism in his life than like 99% of Americans will throughout <laughs> 80 years if they like even right, make an effort. Right, right. Um, but he, li- he lives in this moment that isn't the one we're in now where th- there is an impact and it seems like there is this open roadmap America could take mm-hmm. that asks more radical questions about empire, right. about race, about you know uh, inequality that just gets smothered in the cradle and mm-hmm. like I, I felt so weird watching this movie because I was watching it and I was like crying at the beginning, like before the yeah. sad stuff happened. And I was like, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta work some things out, I think. But this is just a story nobody knows. And I mean, you, you did such a good job on it. I, I hope it like enters our conversation. I saw right. a I tweet mean- uh, that someone said that they, um, they spoiled the movie because their white roommates were watching it and didn't know that Fred Hampton dies at the end and their roommates were like <laughs> mad. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird. I mean, like, but it's not, it's not that way. It's like, yeah, it's fucking a black socialist who died when he was 21 in Chicago. Like why, why would people care? Like, I mean, like, why would that be something that I think people should care because the government fucking killed him. But if you don't know that, and if you just think it's a shootout, then like, why would you care? I mean, you know, and also the media has done an effective job in just, you know, minimizing uh, the role that the Panthers played in, as organizers. You know, you, they just present them as these like, sort of these military fanatics, and they, they, you lose all of the humanity that, that was uh, uh, on display when the Panthers were around, especially in Chicago, especially what happened. I mean, he was a... Uh, uh, just a amazing organizer, and I just feel like the media just doesn't want to to show people like that. And and also, you know, he was young, he was black, and you know, the media just doesn't have incentive to to you know show. But what do you what do you but what do you say to like not just the media, but like why wasn't he like prominent in in sort of black? You know, like when you, when you go through civil rights stuff like that, 
like in say Newark or something like that. We never really talked about Fred. Right. I wonder, well, because I you know, at the, it, it's also capitalism. I mean, you know, there are a lot of black capitalists. There are a lot mm-hmm. of black people who benefit from the system that's uh, in play. You know, it's, I, he was a radical socialist, so I think right. that that probably plays more of a role to why he's not like prominent within the, the black middle class. Uh, uh, right. Yeah, because you can turn the legacy of MLK into like people turn it into capitalism all the time because right. it was a little oh bit God, more yeah. moderate. Yeah. But with Fred yeah. Hampton, it would be very hard for like someone to write like a Fred Hampton was actually a Republican article or <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't moderate Fred Hampton. I, I, you, there's no way to because his you know his speeches are loud and clear, and he's he's very very clear in his positions. And I mean, most of all of the speeches that we use in the film is from Fred Hampton. You know, those are his words. Uh, he was he was very radical, and you can't you can't you can't do what they did with King to to Hampton. It's impossible. Yeah, I really like how this film is framed around that uh, famous quote about how we're not going to fight capitalism with black capitalism. We're going to fight it with socialism. And then you mm-hmm. know, at the end of the movie, you kind of see like Bill O'Neill. You know, his path is capitalism and it all kind of hits him where he's, you know, taking that money to go open a gas station or whatever. And it just, it's not, it's a gloomy moment. It's not portrayed as, you know, a victory on any level. It's, uh, but it's crazy. Like, it's that's the American dream. But, you know, (laughs) it comes at the expense of killing a very great, uh, socialist and very great leader. I mean, that's why it's so tragic. I mean, it's you know this this guy made a choice that he ultimately made a Faustian bargain, and it, you know it, 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 he not only did he lose his soul, but he got a great person killed. But like everyone makes that bargain all the time. I mean, you talk to anyone in this industry, for, even outside of race, like gender and all sorts of stuff. Most comics I know, when I ask them, you know, what they their view of you know changing the world or whatever kind of is it's always like well what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna get ahead and then i'm gonna you know sneak in all sorts of justice or whatever and it's like no you are rationalizing the bill o'neill thing like there's no way to fucking do that there there are way more bill o'neills in this country than france there are way more like i don't know too many people willing to die for their beliefs but i know a lot of people who want like shiny cars and money like i know way more people who want the american dream and I, I, I honestly, outside of Fred Hampton, I don't know too many people willing to doctor the police. Like he's in my 35 years of existence, I've only yeah, really it's only Fred Hampton. I can't really think of more people who would be willing to die for socialism or their beliefs. Uh, and that's just the system that we live in. Even if you're making like a small pragmatic choice, like oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I don't want to, I don't want socialism, but I'm not trying to overthrow capitalism. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of people making those like those decisions and. I think that it's, it's definitely more commonplace. And I think that that's what makes people uncomfortable about the Bill O'Neill character, because it's like, wait a second, I'm definitely more like this dude. I'm definitely more about myself and less about the people. But I think it's, t- it's just a tough it's just a tough question that you have to ask yourself after you watch the film. Right. I mean, one of the things I'm tempted to do uh, is sort of uh, counterfactualize. I'm a big fan of counterfactuals, so I love to do the, you know, what if Fred Hampton lived? But it, I was thinking about it, and it's like, I, I don't know if there's even a possibility where he wouldn't have died at some point. I mean, maybe that's right. the the takeaway is we have to look at him as, um, right. you know, I don't know another word for it other than a, as a martyr, you know, but there right. are still... Right. There's still power there in, in that it, story that yeah. They took more it's, than one shot at Fidel, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, he, Fidel you know, had a 
fucking armies supporting him. I mean, we had a whole country to hide in. That yeah, helps. Whole country. Yeah, 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 yeah. That really helps. We, we didn't get to the part where they're slipping Fred Hampton cigars that explode and like giving him <laughs> poisonous jewels and stuff like well, that. Well, they did drug him. It, I mean, it's pretty similar shit. Um, one thing I kind of wanted to talk about maybe before we get out of here is, you know, I had a kind of an like a weird personal experience in my head when I found out you guys wrote this, which is mm-hmm. that, uh, and I'm going to talk myself through it because I think it comes out at a good place, but this is going to go off in a weird direction. I was like, <laughs> this is weird because I know a lot of comedians and I thought I knew every comedian that was into radical politics. And then, holy shit, these, like, and this is like good. Like you guys clearly understand what you're talking about here and shit. And it took me a minute to go all the way back around and go, oh, right, they're black. Like, you <laughs> – like, because what's happening with, in my head, I guess, is what when I think about radical politics from a perspective of somebody who's not, like, black in America, you know, when we learn about a thing like Fred Hampton, we're, like, running around going, why the fuck doesn't everyone know about this? And, like, yelling mm-hmm. at people. And it's because, like, there's some naivete in it, you know, when you're, like, yeah, uh, sure, sure. this is the first time I've ever heard that the government is evil or whatever, you know? Um, and so I was like, oh, right. I keep forgetting that, like, there are people in, in America who have, like, um, you know, who know about this but are coming or have an entirely different perspective on it, which is, you know, you still have to be an artist and navigate your life and all this stuff. And yeah. you also are not constantly contradicting this. You just kind of have to carry both these things at the same time or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I guess I'm kind of fascinated with how you were able to make a movie that does the function of telling the story of Fred Hampton while still being like, like you're not like overt, you know, yelling in people's right. faces, like political right. people or whatever. Like, I mean, I mean, it takes a village to, to make a film. I mean, we, you know, we had the idea, but you know, you know, someone like Shaka, who was also just as hungry as we were to, to, to you know, make something that was compelling. You know, he he brought a, a whole different set of experiences that I think really, really took our idea to the next level. And then Will Burson, the other writer, he was also critical in, in, in getting the script to where it needed to be uh, in order for it to get sold. But then you have someone like Brian Coogler and Charles King. You have these guys who are, you know, you just need a lot of different forces uh, working hand in hand to try to get a story like this made. And I think, and then you, you have, know, and then, you, and then you have to go through the studio uh, mechanisms right. and, and and all that stuff. So sorry. Yeah. So I mean, it's just like it's 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 a like uh, one day I want to get an opportunity to just like lay out everything that went down because it's 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 just like grand in scope. I mean, and I I think what helped us was that a lot everyone involved in the project from writers to director to producers to cast to to crew everyone was uh uh really committed to making sure we told Fred Hampton's story as as best as we could given all of the constraints uh everyone brought their a-game uh well I guess there's kind of an assumption that people make though that you can't like the on the process of making a movie is going to somehow take the anti-capitalism out of a thing like that though. And everyone's kind of amazed, like, Oh my God, they kind of got it through, you know? But I mean, that's a testament to to Fred Hampton. That's a testament to his actual words. You you can't water down Fred Hampton. Uh, Especially if you want to be, especially because we had, you know, Mama Akua, his his fiance and his, uh, and his son on set. Every day, like you, you're not, you you can't water down Fred Hampton, and that that just wasn't going to happen. We just needed to figure out the most compelling way to present the story to to studio so that we could get that back to 
to make it a, a, a big budget film because you know it's it's not easy. Yeah. I wanted to ask. I know you guys have to go, but this was a uh, bubbling up before we even uh, stumbled onto the topic. But there had to be at least like one moment with the whole squad making the movie where you bumped into somebody who was like, "Could we maybe have like a side scene where the FBI just says their perspective about what's going on?" <laughs> I don't want to mislead people. Mm. I mean, Did, you know. I don't know, Shaq was really good at, like, sticking to the to the initial, you know, vision of the film. I mean, he was, obviously, you know, you had to, you listen to different executives who give their, their notes, and you had to take take some of their notes, but you don't have to take all of them. And, I, and again, I think, you know, when you're dealing with a, uh, a person like Hampton, it's, again, it's very tough to, to I don't know, to, to not be as firm as possible on how you're, presented his vision because it just it, it increases the stakes but i mean I was, so much i was very shocked that warner bros allowed for us to get the jake winter scene in there like i was like they're gonna definitely not want jake winter like killing cops in the in the movie and they were like yeah it's gonna happen yeah. so i'm like whoa yeah. that's that's yeah it was crazy that's... just how 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 supportive they were in terms of not trying to strip down the, you know, the the anti-capitalist rhetoric or the anti-police rhetoric. I mean, we got we for for a big budget studio film, we got a lot in there. Uh, yeah. So you know, that's that's again, that's just kudos to all the people who were involved who were committed to making sure we told Fred's story as truthfully as we could. Yeah, well, uh, well done. Uh, yeah, 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 it's yeah. a great film. I don't want to take Thank up. So much more your time. I know you guys got stuff to do. So, uh, does anybody else have anything real quick before we get out of here? I did kind of want to ask very quickly about. I, go for you it, guys, go for it. Okay, you guys are both from Newark, mm-hmm. uh, and the it's a very interesting um, sort of city for a lot of reasons. Uh, but right now, the the mayor there is Ross Baraka, mm-hmm. uh, son of Amiri Baraka, who right. was a civil rights activist um, and a poet, great poet. Uh, and he's been he was sort of elected as sort of like an anti austerity candidate mm-hmm. it's from what yeah, I yeah. gathered in, in 14 um, I, I was wondering what your sort of evaluation of him is and how that speaks to like broader uh, black politics in America because he you mm. know he's seems like he's done a lot of great things but he also like has been courting Amazon as well as yeah, right, right, I believe right. he called the defund the police movement the bourgeois or something like that. Yeah, right, 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 uh, right, right. So I, I just mean, wanted to get your take on him. I first and foremost, I I, I respect the hell out of Mayor yeah. Ross Baraka. I think that he's the champion of the city, and he he works extremely hard to make sure you know the the image of Newark is, is something more than what has been portrayed by the media. He's a he's a true champion. He's born and bred. Uh, and obviously, when you're running for office and how you actually uh, run office, it's, it's two totally different, you know, worlds. I mean, I think obviously the rhetoric to get into office, you know, you have to be, you have to be, you know, you have to have strong rhetoric and you have to appeal to people. So he did what he had to do to get elected. But as mayor, I think you know he's. It's been a lot of progress in Newark. I mean, it's been like you know the murder, the murders have gone down significantly. Um, even like during the, the mass protests throughout the summer, people were expecting North to explode, and that didn't happen. Uh, you know, it, it was actually one of the more peaceful 
uh, uh, cities in, in terms of protests and, and uh, also with the, the water situation, like he's, he's worked uh, effectively to, 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 to uh, clear that up too. So he's done a lot of good things. And I mean, that, that's not to say like it, he doesn't have his own problems within the city of Newark. I mean, it's North. It's North politics is always going to be a little crazy, but mm-hmm. like he's, I think he's done a really, really effective job. And I, I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, what the next four years look like, you know, yeah. cause you know, now we, Trump is not in office and there's, there's a different energy now with, with within the, the local political scene. So I'm, I think he's so far, I think he's doing great. I mean, I, I talk to people in Newark and I talk to, a lot of people in Newark just to see how they feel, and he's, he's, he has a lot of support, uh, and I think it's in large part because he's been a very effective champion of the city. That's encouraging. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, Lucas Bros, we haven't talked about comedy at all. Uh, <laughs> what, what are you guys up to? Pl- plug stuff for your career. You know, people listen to the show. Uh, uh, yeah, we're uh, hopefully we're going to get back on the road once you know. Yeah. COVID. COVID, so I want to get back on the road, man. Desperately dying to get back on the road. Uh, we we got we're working on this movie with uh, Judd Apatow. That's nice. autobiographical, and we'll see what happens with that. Auto, um, autobiographical of Judd Apatow. <laughs> <laughs> he went. Yeah, he yeah. went into Black Riders Yes, it's autobiographical of Judd Apatow. <laughs> we're writing it, uh, writing and directing it. But yeah, yeah, we just you know. Not yeah, I'm, I'm just waiting for the summer, man. I just the winter has been very, very brutal. So I'm just like, once the sun comes out, I don't, I don't even like. I kind of want to take a break from everything, just because you know it's been a lot. The press run has been crazy, so I just like, I want to take like a two week or month break and just like philosophize or meditate somewhere. Who do you want to play you? I want I want Kenny to play me. <laughs> You're just gonna oh, yeah. I was I was I was I was going with Michael B. Jordan to play me. But, right. Well, that'd be that funny. Would be, that would be a funny movie if there was a <laughs> movie. Kenny's character. There's a movie about us a lot of the film. <laughs> be funny if there's a movie about the Lucas brothers and they're everyone understands they're twins in the movie and then Keith is played by Kenny and Kenny is played by Michael B. Jordan but you're they're supposed to be twins. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> And then, <laughs> then Keith plays Judd Apatow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a great movie. I'll watch it. I'll watch, I'll two watch minutes it. of it. <laughs> all right y'all well thank you so much for your time and uh yeah of course, of course. once again great fucking movie congratulations you made an anti-capitalist movie everyone thought it was impossible and it's a great it's like, we got it done, we got it done. <laughs> thank you guys all right. yeah solidarity all right. solidarity guys okay let's do plugs and get out of here anders what do you got <laughs> oh this is real this, this is okay. real yeah all right <laughs> We played a recording of Jake saying that earlier just to fuck with me. I had a whole riff about turning into a horse. Anders was talking about turning into a horse. The microphone was not on. It was very confusing. I didn't know why he was talking about that. It, was he it, wasn't, the- it wasn't brief either. It was like minutes. <laughs> minutes of a lengthy treatise on if he was a horse. Only to find out we horse. were not recording. <laughs> So we're recording now, so plug your horse thing and let's get out of here. Kafka, I have a Kafka-esque transition into <laughs> into a horseman, and I need your help uh, to do a GoFundMe. But you know what is actually 
more important than that, if you're on GoFundMe, I'm actually going to say that my horse problem isn't that important because that's the kind of guy I am. The Hanton House needs to be saved. Uh, they, they are trying to knock down Fred Hanton's house or something like that in Chicago. And so they have a GoFundMe for the Hampton House. They, they do have a lot of money at this point. They've surpassed the thing, but I think they still need more. Uh, this is mostly just a virtue signal on my part. Uh, Buy Fred Hampton's ghost a second house. <laughs> yes. That's what is needed. Save the Hampton House. Look that up. GoFundMe. Add Anders Lee here on Twitter. And volunteer. Get out there if you're in the uh, DMV region for Karishma Mehta, who's running for assembly in Arlington, my hometown at the south side of Arlington. Uh, also, you can phone back for her if you're not in the region. That's what I'm going to do soon. Um, check her out, Karishma, K-A-R-I-S-H-M-A, and her last name is Meta, like Raga Meta. Awesome. Um, you can find all of my things on twitter.com at Patak Jokes, that's P-T-A-K Jokes, where all of my podcasts lie. And if you can, just support Anders' fictional horse GoFundMe <laughs> because he's in a really hard spot. Uh, especially one part of me, if you know what I mean. Especially in that one part. Yes, face. Well, what else is there to say about that? That's it for me. Uh, other shows, Why You Mad, we have a uh, disc, or we have a Patreon you can subscribe to for our bonus episodes. also gives you access to our Discord if you're one of those freaks. And we did like a fun movie night thing on our Discord the other night. It was pretty cool. So give us money if you want to do all that shit. We also have merch for sale. I have t-shirts. I made those bandanas way back before coronavirus. I didn't know it was happening, but we have them. Uh, I have stickers we made. Uh, that's it. I don't really have anything else. I have an album coming out. We soon. made the stickers before we knew about coronavirus. Also, well, no, for They're real. Unrelated. You can't go anywhere, so I can't put these fucking stickers up anywhere. Originally, the idea was I was going to put them all over the country, you know, because I'm a little troubadour. Mm. But um, mm-hmm. that ain't happening. Uh, oh, put them in your that. bathroom. Put them in my bathroom. Our listeners can do that. This was. We can do the original posting, which was putting shit, stickers, writing things on bathroom walls and doors and, you know, graph art. Yeah. Order the stickers, put them in your local bathrooms, public bathrooms, and uh, that's how we'll spread the word. Yeah, sorry. They cost $3 because uh, I had them made by, like, a good company that does union shit. They're union-made, and they have to make money back um so i just feel guilty because they should be free in theory but they cost hundreds of dollars uh oh uh, my girlfriend's book is out dirtbag anthropology by kate willett on audible which is the thing that you get with amazon girlfriend's book it's good i listened to it i'm in it so i'm technically plugging that i'm in it it's a guest spot yeah. Not to one up anybody, but my girlfriend's actually on uh, Russian state media every Friday. Uh, <laughs> Redacted Tonight. You can find that on YouTube, Redacted Tonight. Also, she has a show called Bitches Brew on Fridays on Zoom and Twitch. Yeah, follow Amy these Garibani. wonderful gals. Okay, Alex, what about your girlfriend? My wife <laughs> has made a wonderful 
marble painting for her union portfolio. <laughs> it looks like marble, but it's a painting. You can't see it anywhere, but just for take union? my word for it. Her union portfolio? What's that? Uh, you have to submit a portfolio to get into the screen pr- printing union. It's like a whole fucking thing. Really? I mean, it's unrelated to the podcast, so I'm not going to talk about it, but that's it. Well, that's but, good I, for that's people it. to know. We no, should have it's more not people. good for people to know. When you marry your girlfriend, she ceases to be your girlfriend and becomes your wife? She's your ex-girlfriend. I don't accept that. That's weird. Shouldn't it just be both? Like I've. I don't make the rules. I just partner. Give the jewels. Yeah. To beautiful women across this great (laughs) land. Okay, let's leave. (laughs) It's finished. It's finished.